What I think I'll do is I'll talk about healing covenants from the beginning of man to bring you up to date on the type of healing covenant that we have now and how to exercise your faith in this covenant. You know, the proper way to exercise your faith in the new covenant that we have right now. So, Father, we thank you and I thank you to help me to give understanding to your people and help me to understand this as well, Lord, that we want to hear from you and hear revelation from you as you reveal yourself through us and in us and and among us. So we thank you, Father, for understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You need to know that the healing covenant that you have now under the new covenant, the maximum benefit out of this covenant is divine health. It's not just getting sick and getting well, but the New Testament standard is divine health. And we'll talk about that and get you to understand the difference in the healing covenants. Now, Isaiah 53 is what helps us to understand healing that comes through Christ. So I'm going to read that for you. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. Verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, talking about Jesus or the Messiah. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But surely, what do we say about words like surely and verily, verily? Those are covenant terms. So that makes you know that this is not just something to read it and skim over and gloss over. But this is where you park your car. This is where you put on the brakes and stop right there and meditate because this is extremely important because this is a covenant deal. This is a sure thing. This is not, uh, you know, if it be thy will or, you know, maybe I've done too much wrong Or it's not going to happen for me, but happen for somebody else. But this is a sure thing. He says, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So, Isaiah is seeing a vision of Jesus on the cross. So he's reporting what he sees. He's interpreting by the Spirit of God what he sees. And he sees a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He's seeing how the people are treating him, rejecting him, and despising him. And he says, but he did this for us. He was wounded for us. He was bruised for us. So this is a covenant sentence. Whenever somebody does something in another person's place, that is a substitution or covenant language. So this lets you know that God has a, an ironclad promise that's sworn in his own blood and in his own life that he is doing this for us, as Isaiah sees it. Now, in 1 Peter 2... You'll see the same scripture again. 1 Peter 2. Verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his 
own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So Peter is looking back on the fact that Jesus already healed anybody who is in covenant with him. Amen? You were healed. Now, Calvary was a complete and total work. The atonement provides for everything. So if you got saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you were also healed at the same time you were saved. Uh, You were healed. Man, this is a legal document. This is a promise of God. This is a statement of God's law. This is a statement of spiritual fact. You were already healed. When you got born again, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were healed. Hmm? Well, Barb, I'm not talking about that. That's where everybody's mind goes, well, why I don't feel it? Well, why am I sick? Well, I shouldn't say sick shit if I'm healed. Now I ain't sick. I can't yell. Isn't that what we do? Don't we get confused like that sometimes? We're scared to say we're healed and we're scared to say we're not healed. We don't know what kind of confession to make in front of what kind of people. And are these faith people I'm around or is these a normal denominational people? Can I say I'm sick if I'm in a Baptist church and I can't say it if I'm in a charismatic church and I can't say it if I'm a word church? So we don't know what to say. Huh? But you need to say the truth at all times. So this is what we're after today. We're after finding the truth. Of what's going on with us. Huh? It's like if you if you run a red light, you know, and nobody sees you. Are you innocent or are you guilty? Huh? See, we can we know how to bend the truth, stretch the truth, tell lies and all kinds of stuff. But when we talk about the fact that we were healed, when we talk covenant language. We are talking about spiritual truths. We're talking about spiritual laws. So under the spiritual law of the New Testament, the atonement paid for everything. So if it's paid for, you have it already. Remember when you were first, you first confessed Christ and you were scared if you said a bad word You were scared if you did something wrong and you walked on shells afraid to make a move because you thought something was wrong with you if you made a mistake after you got saved. Now we're totally comfortable with it. Isn't that the truth? But can anybody tell you you're not saved? Because you don't worry about your no-nos anymore? You know why you don't worry about your no-nos anymore? Because God made the covenant based on the fact that he knew we would do no-nos. So the covenant is for messed up people. See, the covenant is for people that do no-nos. That's what Jesus said. I didn't call the, the righteous to repent. So I call sinners. Huh? So the religious people got skipped over. 
And Jesus dealt with the people who knew the truth about themselves and their condition, huh? See, what we can't undo is God's will. God's will was set before the foundation of the earth. I'm going to show you in Exodus. I go, I'm getting ahead of myself, I think, but I think I'm on, on time here. In Exodus 15, turn there. I'll show you that. Let me show you this. I can show you that. Huh? <laughs> In Exodus chapter 15. In verse 26. This is where they were getting ready. They were, were thirsty and needed water to drink. And it was poison. Bitter water meant poison water. And they could tell by the smell of it, it was putrid and it was rotten. And, it, and they knew they couldn't drink it. And so and the Lord, it says in verse 25, they cried unto the Lord. This is Moses. He said, what shall we drink? And the Lord showed him a tree. Isaiah referred to Jesus as the branch. Huh? And he shed his life on a tree. So the tree is symbolic of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It's symbolic that some substitute is coming to take the place of something that's bad in your life and turn it into good. That's what the whole thing is about. He says he showed him a tree which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet or they were purified. Just like us. We were sinners and then we were made righteous because of what he did on this tree and what the tree represents. And he says when the waters were made sweet, there he made for them a law. So when you have a covenant with somebody, there are laws that govern the covenant. Hmm? It's called the law of the covenant. The covenant is your agreement. It's your promise. It, it covers your needs. It covers your wants. It covers everything that you need. But then there are certain laws that govern the covenant. Parents, you have a covenant with your children. There are laws of your household that govern harmonious living and provision. If they want to live there and have mom and dad provide for them, there are certain things that you're requiring of them. Number one, they've got to be there in peace and harmony. That's, that's number one. So anything that your children do that is disruptive, cause them into correction Because you're the one who's offering the covenant to them. You're the Lord of that covenant. You're the master of that covenant. You also have laws governing their conduct and behavior throughout the years. You are to always report to me. You don't go anywhere and stay overnight. And come dragging in here in the morning talking about you went to sleep at your friend's house. You got me? And so there are laws of God's covenant that govern how we can receive the benefits that God has to offer us as well. And so this is the law of the covenant that pertain to healing 
under the Old Testament. Okay, so under the Old Testament, it was this Exodus 15 and 26. And he said, if you will diligently hearken. That's not listen. Diligence is not just when you need something. By then, it's really too late if you, you know, you're going to have to go borrow something if you wait until you, you know, your need is obvious. But he says diligently. That means listen for my word in every situation at all times. He said, if you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that he left you. Now, under this covenant right here that you see, God expects that healing would be a continual process that would have to happen over and over and over again. That word healeth means to do it repeatedly over and over and over again. Anybody feeling better because of the better covenant right now? You know the difference now? So they were expected to obey the law faithfully. Not that they didn't break the law. Because it would, there would be no need for covenant if we weren't lawbreakers to begin with. He knows you're going to break the law. So let's not get flaky here and try to be all cool. And um, I really don't have nothing to repent of. Repent of that lie. My goodness, by the time, you know, you can walk up to somebody and they got a cute earring on and you get into covetousness. Don't tell me you ain't got nothing to repent of. You know, I'm sitting there watching million dollar this and million dollar that and million dollar this and they got million dollar everything on television now. It's hard to stay out of some kind of sin. Hmm? Yeah, think about it. Just, you know, just come clean. Listen, if God, when the Bible says the lamb was slain, when? Before the foundation of the earth. Which means before we were even created. And he already died a bloody death to save us from ourselves before we, because so he knew we were going to sin before we even were created. So how are we going to stand up now and say we ain't done that yet? Huh? Everybody always all innocent. Y'all wake up here, okay? Do something and tap your foot and wake yourself up. But stay awake now, okay? Huh? Because you got to understand, when you come into this covenant with God and you try to pretend that you don't sin, or you try to pretend that you don't need to confess your sins, or you try to pretend that you do everything, you're already negate. You're calling God a liar off, off right off the bat, off Jump Street, because he made this covenant for sinners, us. How is it you're going to all of a sudden, you get born again one day, and the next day you don't commit no sins? Is that stupid or what? Huh? It is stupid. You know why? Because we're born and sin shaped in iniquity. Your brain is is programmed to screw up until you transform it by renewing it in the word. And even with that, you can screw up again. Your best efforts to do good are screw ups. 
So you might as well stay under the power of the blood. Stay under Jesus Christ. Thank him for paying for your sins. Thank him that you don't have to try to impress anybody with how perfect you are. You don't have to be that kind of Christian. You can just be you and be saved and be happy. But this is made for screwed up people, just like me and you. I'm talking to the right crowd. (laughs) Their covenant said that if you didn't do all of the law, you couldn't be healed. So what happened when you sinned? Well, you had to take the long road. You had to go to the priest. You had to get a sacrifice. If your kids had, if you had four lambs in the house and you were a big drunk and a cut up, that little lamb was in trouble. Huh? You know, in the wrong household, your pets is liable to have a bad time. To say nothing of the pigeon and the turtle dove in the cage that your wife likes and all that. You know, you tie one on and you liable to wipe the whole household out of pets. Livestock and everything else. Why did God do that? These things were reminders to us that sin is costly. Sin is costly. It costs somebody something every time we do something wrong. Think about it. Think about people who have wronged you. You've expected things out of people and they haven't kept lied to you and told you they were this way about you and you find out they're over here. Those things cost because of the pain that they bring and because of the, the loss that they bring. There's loss of self-esteem, there's loss of self-worth, there's loss of your soul, of the peace of mind, and that kind of thing. So those things must be paid for. Can we pay for them? Of course not. That's why the Lamb was slain for us before the foundation of the earth, because we cannot pay the price for a human soul. You can't, listen... I'm sorry is not paying the price. Are you kidding me? For some of the stuff that's been done to some of us, you think I'm sorry takes care of it? You know, you want to go punch somebody out. They come up to you with that. Well, you know, I know I stole all your money and I cussed you out. I stole your credit cards and you lost your house and you lost everything. But I'm sorry. You think that really covers it? I mean, I'm glad they humbled themselves enough to say it, but we want that back, don't we? You want what that's what's going to take care of it when you get that back. So Jesus gives it back. His blood, the payment he made, gives it back, gives everything back that sin takes away from us. Huh? Your own sin will mess your life up. You out there think you're having a good time and... You know, some of these young girls, they got Man Man, Bubba, uh, Shaniqua, and Bebe, and, well, I got four kids. No, Lord have mercy. And no daddy, you ain't married to nobody. I'm waiting on my husband. He ain't coming. Ain't nobody crazy enough to step up into all that. Are you kidding me? 
So the damage we do to ourselves trying to have a good time and trying to have fun, somebody's got to pay for that to undo that. Huh? You know what God has to go through to find a proper husband for somebody who got four babies by four different daddies, no high school education. Hello? Miracle. Huh? Repent. Get clean. Hope you get a new identity. Go somewhere they don't know who you are no more. Let's wipe the slate totally clean so you can start all over again. But see, when God created us, he knew that we would do this and he made provision to put us back in righteousness through his covenant. But the old covenant provided through a through a system of a priesthood and sacrifices that whenever you sinned, you could go back and you could be healed all over again. Anybody that was sick, anybody that was a leper, think about the lepers that they had. They had the law governing how lepers were to be treated. That's a highly infectious disease, so you had to be separated from the congregation. You couldn't be around people or they would catch it very quickly. But leprosy, the priest would have to examine you and see what the condition of your disease was. So we have the first incident of the priest as a physician. Priests were able to tell by the Spirit of God and through the instruction of God if somebody was in the beginning stages of leprosy, if it was clearing up, if it was getting worse. They kept up with these cases just like doctors did. And when the person that had leprosy, when his leprosy left, which they often did, Because if you start obeying the law again and start making your sacrifices and your atonement again, the God that healeth you would start healing you all over again. So their covenant was a covenant of gain and loss. You gained healing just like these people did with the bitter water. They gained good water and they were able to to live, but as soon as they moved on from that well, they could walk right back into bitter water again, which means they had to constantly call on God to bring life and health into them on a continual basis. The new covenant is totally different from that. Totally different from that. Under the new covenant, you were healed so you come from a position not just as a priest ministering over sacrifices and hearing confessions how pathetic is that somebody's got to hear your confession to make you think God heard it so you can think maybe he might do something nice for you and you're not sure what that is but You confess to a man and you hope that did it. Under the new covenant, your sins and iniquities, he remembers no more. So it's not a covenant of gain healing and lose it when you're bad. You don't lose anything when you're bad. Because it was never on the table to be lost. 
Mm. Somebody better go home and beat the devil up tonight and get your stuff back. You don't lose anything in this covenant. You know why? Because you ain't involved in it. Not the you that sinned. He nailed our sins to the cross and they were carried away, never to return anymore. Well, Barb, what happens when I sin now? You repent. See, this is where we go for the old rope-a-dope. You sin and you stop. You sin and you stop and you feel bad. You sin and you stop and you wonder why you can't do everything right. You sin and you stop and you consider your sin. When the Bible says if you confess it, So what you should do when you sin is confess and you're cleansed and you're righteous again. God didn't tell you to stop and consider how bad you were and stop and consider, well, I should be doing better than I am. I've been saved for X number of years. Who told you that? Huh? Didn't you enter this covenant because you didn't know how to get free of your own sin on your own? There was no power that could buy you out of your no-nos that you did all the time. And you gave up and you threw up your hands and said, Jesus, if you're real, come into my heart and save me. I do bad and I don't want to do bad anymore. I want to do good and I want to live for you. So this covenant is about teaching you how to do good and how to live for him, not how to get back where you were before you found him feeling bad for all the bad stuff you did. This is not this kind of covenant. The Jew didn't do that to himself. Jews didn't sit up and feel bad. They went to temple, man. Huh? If they tied one on, slapped a wife around, or, you know, did something stupid, they got the... Pet the family pet and went to temple, huh? Because he didn't want to be stopped in living the good life, huh? It's the truth. Now, see, our little Catholic selves and our little Baptist selves think that's some kind of greasy grace or that's some kind of, you know, taking advantage of God or you don't take this seriously. This covenant, this thing is serious. And I'm serious with you. I'm not going to stop and feel bad about nothing. I'm not going to stop and wallow in self-pity. I'm not going to stop and wonder why I keep doing this. I'm not going to stop. Because this is a no-stop covenant. You don't stop. You know what's going to happen if you stop and consider? The devil's going to convince you that you like that stuff again and you can't do no better. 
See, that's where you get trapped. What you consider traps you. It either traps you or frees you. Do you sit there and listen to the devil? Well, look at you. Mm, you looking at her legs and you, you just an old pervert. Yeah, you are, but you repent. You nasty little thing, you. <laughs> I just threw that in. Is that pretty good? You like that? <laughs> I hope your eyeballs fall out. That's what Jesus said. Pluck them out if they offend you. Get rid of them. Huh? But let's go on in righteousness. Whatever you got to deal with, you deal with it. But we're going on in righteousness. We're not going to stop here and let you throw a pity party and then start wallowing in it and go right back out to doing it again. And there's people watching you that hope you do. Huh? I got news for you. Them people at your job, you always win. They're watching you to hope you backslide and get stupid so they can point the finger at you right with the devil. Huh? So this is not a covenant with a timeout where you got to go get a sacrifice and get it killed and go to the priest and wait in a long line behind your neighbor that's always putting you down for what you don't do right and all that you know they had there was it was a trip trying to get righteous then maintain righteousness that's why many times the nation of israel would backslide and they just wouldn't do they said man this is too much to do all these offerings and sac- and they were supposed to feel that way so they would give up and realize that they couldn't do that covenant And long for a Messiah that would usher in a new covenant where they didn't have to do all of that stuff, which is what we have now. What we have now. So it's been done. You've accepted. When you accept Jesus Christ, you accept the fact that everything has been done for everything you need. That's why Jesus says, what are you spending your time for? considering what are you going to eat what are you going to drink what are you going to do he said your father knows you have that's a covenant term your father knows you need it already and if he knows you need it all you got to do is get in line to get it line yourself up with the receivers that's all you don't listen if, if you think God's waiting for all of us to straighten up and be wonderful before he does anything through us, we're going to be waiting a long time. The earth will go to hell 15 times over waiting for the body of Christ to straighten up. You know what God does with us? He catches us when we straight before we get stupid again. He uses us in our straightness to help somebody. Isn't that right? If you could straighten up in your mind longer, you could do more for more people, couldn't you? People say things like, well, I want God to use me and I don't know why he don't use you. You already condemned yourself. That question, why doesn't he use me? Listen, I'm available. Say that to God. God opened my mouth. I mean, I'll open my mouth. You fill it with words. Put me in the midst of somebody who needs it. That's enough. Amen. What do you want to do? You want to go 15 days without 
thinking a bad thought before he can use you. You want to start praying uh, in the Holy Ghost four hours straight. Well, I think if I can do that four hours straight, he'd probably use me. Huh? That won't happen. He'd rather line you up with a faith accident than to wait for you. Must us to pray in tongues for four. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. Huh? <laughs> you try it, you find out God ain't with you in it. Huh? You can't do these things except by the Holy Spirit. Huh? You can't. So if that's what God's prescribing, he'll put four hours of intercession on you. But he knows that would blow your mind. You go sit in a corner somewhere and be scared to open your mouth again. So he takes what you offer him when you offer it. Well, I forgot I was a Christian for about 10 days. Oh, I remember now. God used me. I'm available. And he uses you. Huh? Well, you, you don't think that's how it happens, but it's exactly how it happens. He uses us when we're yielded to him. Not when you prayed up enough to, to get good enough for him to use you. See, that's, that's the, huh? That's not going to happen. Huh? You're not going to get no gooder than what you are now. Huh? I mean, just not. What Jesus did made you good enough yesterday, today, and forevermore. You're good enough. So let's get in faith and get in the act and stop sitting on the sidelines waiting for we don't know what. See, I know God wants to use me, but that's your problem. There's no but to he wants to use you. You make yourself available. You make yourself available for what? Whatever. Whatever God has. You make yourself available for that. And you go on and do what God wants you to do. So prior to Calvary, which paid for everything, Jesus the healer had a covenant of obedience to all the law if we were to be healed. That's in Exodus 15:26 that we just read. It did provide continual healing because he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, which meant the healing could be lost but regained when you got back into obedience. So the sacrifice and the offering had to come after the disobedience and put you back into obedience again. In this covenant, there's no pause. You got me? You have a continual righteousness that you step into by faith in the atonement and what the atonement covers. It covers all sin, past, present, and future. And so God knows you're going to sin in the future. He's made provision for that. He knows you sinned in the past. He's made provision for that. He knows half y'all going to try to go to sleep, and that's a sin, and he's made provision for that. <laughs> you know what I mean. i got to stay awake. I can't go to sleep. <laughs> so in the Old Testament, the priest was also a physician. He could judge leprosy. The leper recovered by obedience to God's law. Jesus healed lepers because they had faith, which is necessary for obedience to God's law. So remember the three lepers that sat outside the gate and they said, why sit we here until we die? They had no understanding of the covenant. 
see, they weren't Jews. They were Syrians. So they didn't understand a covenant where they could make a sacrifice and get obedient to God's law. It was an immediate death sentence for all of them. When you have a covenant, there is no death sentence with any disease. Huh? There's no death sentence. There's just a renewing of the covenant. If you've stepped out of covenant with God for some reason, and you know that you stepped out of faith in Jesus as the healer, you can step right back into faith again and receive him as healer and go on into divine health. Huh? And it's a stepping over into that. So... Jesus healed lepers because they had faith, which is necessary for obedience to God's law, that said himself took our infirmities. So they had to believe that he would take them from him when he walked on the earth. Now, when when people, when Jesus walked on the earth, there was not yet any divine healing. He had to take that sickness from them. The Bible says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That's why the crowds were so big at his meetings, because he himself either had to touch them, they had to receive through his disciples when they would lay hands on them. But the touch of Jesus was what brought them back into health and healing because As he went through the streets and as he went through the towns, he took healing. He took infirmity from them. He took sickness from them. He's the only one who can do it. He's the only person who could do it. The only one. That's why he said, when I leave, greater works will you do. You'll do more works because there are more of y'all here to touch more people on my behalf and in my name and in my power. So the more works are done by the larger body of Christ, but we do the same things because he delegated his power to take disease to us. So you can pray for anybody and remove disease from them in the name of Jesus, just like he did. Because he himself took infirmity and took disease. He took it one final time when he was on the tree, when he was beaten and bruised for our healing and, and, and the chastisement of our peace with the Father was laid on him. So when he took it one final time for all of humanity and it was placed on him as a sacrifice now, when he was alive, he wasn't taking it as a sacrifice. Okay, He was taking it as a unique kind of priest who was assigned to take disease from people. So as he did his meetings while he was living, they either said, if you speak the word, I know it'll leave because there's authority and power in your words. If you will come and lay hands on somebody, if I can touch your garment, but they all had to touch Jesus because as a unique priest, he was the only one who was capable of taking sickness and disease from people. But when he went to Calvary, he took it as a sacrifice. When something is taken as a sacrifice, 
then it's taken once and for all, never to have to be taken anymore. So all sickness and all disease was laid on Jesus and he took it as a sacrifice. That body died and was buried so that God received that sacrifice on our behalf. And now he's raised up with all power, no sickness, no disease whatsoever in him. And we are in him. If you're born again, you are in him as he is now, which means divine health. No sickness, no disease. You have a, a power in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, makes your mortal body alive. This thing that we live in that's going to be buried one day, it's the resurrection power of Jesus that lives in our bodies now. It's not nearly what it was when he walked around because his power was limited to situations. Right now, he has all power, which means he can send it anywhere he wants to, through any vessel he wants to, to do anything he wants it to, and nothing can stop it from manifesting what God says it's going to manifest. So when God says that by his stripes you were healed, That means that you're no longer subject to sickness anymore. Now, what do I mean when I say you're not subject to it? Subject. What's a subject? Hmm? The word subject means to kneel under. Huh? Queen Elizabeth has subjects. That's why when they come up to her, they have to bow or they are subjecting themselves to her as the queen of England. When we were sinners, we were subject to sickness because the devil was our Lord and master. We had to bow to it because we had no power against it. Now that we're in Christ, we don't have to bow to it anymore, sickness. You don't bow and, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I got to go. You're not subject to it anymore. You have to bow to that. Just like you don't have to bow to anything the devil has. The devil is the devil. Evil is evil. I don't care what he's trying to put. You don't have to. You're not subject to it. You don't have to kiss up to it and bow to it and massage it and get it surgery and all surgery and all. You don't have to do that. You don't have to take a pill and give it to it. You're not subject to it anymore. You've been raised up. Seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Who is now not only a priest, but he's a king. When he walked the earth, he was merely a priest. He laid down his kingly robes. He had to wait for that to be given to him again. But he could get as much of it as people had faith for. See? He could use as much power to do as many things as people would exercise their faith for. So when Jesus went to the cross, he said, the Bible says... That he entered into the holy place. 
not just the, the tabernacle that the earthly priests had, but this was an eternal uh, holy place in the heavenlies and sprinkled his own blood on the altar, eternal blood on the altar, not one you had to do over and over again. And you took the lamb yesterday, now you got to take the goat today. He's not that kind of sacrifice. He's perfect one-time sacrifice. That blood speaks life throughout eternity. It speaks deliverance. Through, it speaks freedom from sin and degradation throughout eternity. It speaks eternal things. So we don't have to bow to anything, anything that the devil has. You don't bow to poverty. You don't bow to sickness. You don't bow to thieves and their intimidation and kids trying to seduce your children off to do things. You have to bow to that. You go in your bedroom and pray one good, strong, get lost prayer. You're not subject to that stuff anymore. Well, maybe I should make friends with the girl because no. She's looking for a baby daddy. Let her go down the street where they like that stuff. You don't tolerate that in your... Be stupid. Make friends with the devil. The devil is the devil, man. You know, people are, are a little strange in that respect. You know, you, you got nice kids. You know, you raised them right. You sacrificed, put them, brought them to church kicking and screaming sometimes would you drag them anyway and you groom them nice and you pray for things that you want good for them and out of nowhere some skank pops up looking for your son and if somebody's stupid enough and say well let's pray for her to be saved no i didn't pray for her to come into his life period i'm gonna pray for her to exit first things first See, if you start praying for her to get saved, she might hang around. I'm going to go over here where I can talk to normal people. I said if you pray for her to get saved, she might hang around. Did you pray her into his life? Well, then she needs to exit. Just like if he had sickness... If he had a disease, if he had a toothache, you pray for that to exit his life. Well, see, Pastor Barb, you don't have kids. You just mean you don't know what that means. Oh, yeah, I do. I know a devil from an angel. I know when I prayed for something to come into my life, and I know when I didn't pray for it to show up. If it came in and I didn't pray for it, it's not just a blessing from heaven. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I believe my faith gets everything, and God does exceeding abundantly beyond, but I'm not looking for him to bring me no surprises. I already talked to him about that. Oh, well. Oh, well. I'll save that for another day. Y'all better learn how to get devils out of your kid's life. You got me? If they don't look like Mama Duggar's kids, send them on out of there. 
I mean it. <laughs> Was that pretty good? <laughs> Little Howard. <laughs> Little Howard got nervous back there. He said, oh, no. Huh? You know, we got saved skanks and holy hoes running around and latching on to y'all's kids. Don't be putting up with that stuff. If she dressed in something, Mom, that you wouldn't put on, send her on out of there. Let me just get back to my notes. <laughs> See, we're going to learn how to get rid of trouble before it even gets started. Huh? If something comes by and it don't look right, don't consider. Just exit. Huh? Get out. You go meet with God in the throne room. And you say, Father... I feel bad if this child ain't saved, but I did not bring that child into my life, my kid's life with my faith. And I am saying right now, devil, you leave and take that with you. The tent you walked in, you walk out in that same tent and get out of my kid's life in Jesus name. And I mean it. You'll save yourself a whole lot of extra praying down the road. Huh? I feel good. All right. (laughs) So after Jesus died, we have what we call a covenant of divine health. We were healed. Now, this is a spiritual reality. You know what I mean when I say spirit? I don't mean spooky. And I don't mean, you know, fantasy and pretend. I mean a spiritual reality. The council of heaven already decided that you were healed. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost agree you were healed. Well, how come I, well, how come you don't believe it? See, people want to challenge you with their symptoms. How come I get you know, sickness, and I got a headache, and I cause you accept it because you feel you're subject to it. I am telling you, you are not subject to it. So, what do you want to believe? It's all a matter of what you desire to believe. You want to believe you're subject to it, or you want to believe you're not subject to it? Well, let's see, you shouldn't even have to think about that one. Huh? You should want divine health. Who wants to be sick? So if you're in divine health, that means that you can minister because Jesus the priest lives in you. And you have authority over it because Jesus the king lives in you. He has a higher order now than he had when he walked on this earth. When he walked on this earth, he was a priest, a unique priest, we said. The Bible says after the order of Melchizedek, without beginning, without end, without mother, without father, an eternal priesthood. If he's got an eternal priesthood and he says, you were healed, that means you were healed sometime in the past. And we're not sure exactly when that was. 
except we know he was slain before the foundation of the earth and he invited people to be healed over and over again if they walked in covenant with him. It's interesting to me. King David, remember him? Everybody said, ooh, Bathsheba. First thing they think about. You never see in the Bible where he was sick, do you? A liar, a homongerer, a fornicator, an adulterer, many wives, a murderer, a thief, but he wasn't sick. <laughs> and see, we got a better covenant. It was set up. I wonder why I got these. I wonder why I can't. Wonder why I wonder. Huh? It's the truth. Why be ashamed of ourselves? Huh? In fact, the only ones that you saw were sick could go to the prophet or the priest to get their healing. They always inquired of the man of God or the woman of God. They believed in healing back then. There was no help from physicians. Huh? And so we have to understand that when Jesus says that by his stripes we were healed, he is talking about the fact that we have now been translated and sit in heavenly places with him where we rule and reign over sickness, over death, over poverty, over anything that used to lord it all over us and we were subject to it. We rule and reign over it now. Why? Because he still has the eternal priesthood, but he's also got his kingly robes on again. So he gives us authority to rule and reign just like he does. And that's why we can throw commands into the earth. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Come out in Jesus' name. That comes from his kingly authority, not his priestly authority. That's why you can tell that little so-called girlfriend, get lost in the name of Jesus. Devil, you lust devil, trying to lure my son and get him hooked up with a bunch of sorrow and a bunch of pain. Huh? You get out of here in the name of Jesus. That's kingly stuff. That's not priestly. Huh? You still minister as a priest because you can intercede. You can jump in anybody's business that the Holy Ghost tells you to jump into. So you still have the priestly thing, but as kingly, and that means as a king, you are subject to nobody except the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're only subject to him. And he has no sickness for his people. I got news for you. He has no poverty for his people. Got news for you. He's got no despair for his people. See, if we're subject to Jesus, that means we bow and receive what he has for us. He has never taught anybody anything through sickness. He's never taught us anything through poverty. He's never, he don't teach, he teaches us through the Holy Ghost and through the Word. He don't teach you through bad experiences. You know why he don't use that method? People don't learn from that. You take a saint that's broke today, they get money tomorrow, and they broke again on Friday just like sinners are. So don't tell me he teaches us through experience. You're right. Teaches you through the Holy Ghost because that's where you get faith from. 
through his word. He teaches us through the spirit of faith. And when he teaches us, then we can uh, obtain and possess everything that is in the teaching for us. If he's teaching us on divine health, we obtain divine health already through the finished work at Calvary. So, your healing is a spiritual reality. We were talking about that. That means, remember Exodus 15, the statute and the ordinance, the law? Well, we're under a new law now. See, the fact that there's a new covenant means also there's a new law. Hello. Let me see if I can find that for y'all. Lord have mercy. I'm going to find you something. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I preached in Hebrews at a healing school one time and forgot who I was and where I was. You know, it's one of those one of those books that when God starts giving you revelation from it, you lose touch with things. So I don't go there unless he says really go there. All right. Hebrews 6. I'm talking about the spiritual law that we were healed. Verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel. That means that when he makes up his mind, he don't change it because you got bad last night. You change it. Quit doing bad and you can think like he does about you. He says, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. It's not that God won't lie. It's that he can't lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, that's Jesus, Without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Thank God for that. Because if he's, if we're in an eternal covenant, that means it never stops and it never comes to an end. You're just in it and believing that you're in it or you're out of it in unbelief. Sitting on the sidelines because of something stupid you said or whatever. He says, verse 4, 
he abides as a priest continually. Verse 4, now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And truly, they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people concerning the law, that is, of their brethren, although they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, that's Jesus, he's not like the Old Testament priest. He says, receive tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the, the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he also lives. And as I may say also, Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. So Abraham's receiving tithes from Melchizedek, even though Levi was a son of Abraham indirectly, put put him under the Levitical priesthood was a, a lesser type of priesthood than this one was. So he starts out, Jesus comes as a high priest without beginning and without end. So his priesthood has always been an eternal priesthood, just like Melchizedek's was. The only thing that changes now under the new covenant is because there is a change of priesthood from the Levite to Jesus Christ being the one high priest. There's also a change of the law and how the law is exercised. So the law is exercised by faith in what Jesus Christ has done and faith alone. So that when we say that it is a spiritual truth and a spiritual law that you were healed, you must accept the fact that you were healed. You cannot say, I want to be healed. I believe I can be healed. You must state the spiritual law just like God states it. I am healed or I was healed the condition that I am in now I am in a healed condition so what's wrong with me your faith is what's wrong anytime you ask that question why don't I have why do we have symptoms why do we get disease even under the old covenant you didn't get disease Exodus 15 said, I'll put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians. I heal you. I'm the God that heals you. Now, I don't know about you or you or you that don't believe, but if you believe me, I'm the God who heals you. So he talks to them personally that they have a personal covenant with him for divine health now, not just continual healing every time they bring a sacrifice. What we have now is a condition of divine life inside of us that generates healing every time we exercise faith in it. If I stand here and say, by his stripes I am healed, I am calling upon my covenant power to bring healing into my being because maybe I didn't sleep well or maybe I didn't do this well or maybe I'm not feeling well or maybe something is troubling my soul. When I find I am troubled in my soul, I can do the same thing that the Old Testament priest did. I can be my own physician. 
Huh? Is that not so? If you're a priest and we were under the old covenant and the priest under the old covenant can look at symptoms and tell if they were right and if they were healed and could pronounce you healed or not healed. Don't you think you can do the same thing with yourself? Didn't the woman with the issue of blood do the same thing with herself? She knew within herself she was healed. She was her own physician on the inside. When she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says she knew within herself she was healed. So she acted as her own physician as well. The spirit of faith will cause you to do that. So that you can, you can see, you can wake up in the morning with a throbbing headache. I am my own physician. I have a covenant with Almighty God. And a spiritual law dictates that I was healed. Headache, you leave me in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that I take the medicine of the word of God. I thank you, Father, that you yourself took my infirmities. You yourself bore my sicknesses. And by your stripes I'm healed. They put that on you, devil. You take it off of me because Jesus took it already. And I'm not taking your stuff. You're illegal in Jesus' name. And, Father, I worship you. I invoke my covenant through worship and faith in what you have done. And I praise you. And I thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that this disease has two minutes to leave my body in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, everything that's wrong with me is made whole in the name of Jesus. Now, why do we do that? Because it works. You feed your faith the word of God and it gets bigger. And it drives any symptom, illegal symptom, out of your body. It has to. You can arrest any symptom in your body by the authority of Jesus' name. Why do you call it a symptom? Because we already dealt with that. I'm healed, okay? It's a spiritual law. If you don't believe it, get to the point where you do believe it. But I believe it because it's a spiritual law. Because Jesus told me. And he says if the things aren't right the way they're supposed to be, heaven calls those things that be not just like they are. So you can call your body healed even though it's racked with pain. You can call your body healed even though the doctors have found all kinds of spots and all kinds of stuff. The devil's got more things to throw on x-rays. So they got you with spots. Cover the spots with stripes. There's a spiritual law that says he bore stripes to cover your spots. Stripes will cover anything that's wrong with us. When you're, when you're born again, the seed of divine health comes into your being. Just like the seed of salvation. I don't know about y'all, but... I sin a lot less than I did when I first got saved. So the seed's growing. Huh? It's getting bigger. Same thing with healing. Same thing with anything that you need. You, You were healed when you got saved. So that seed of healing can be fed. Whenever you find something popping up in your body that doesn't line up with the word of God, that seed of healing can be fed and can grow and can outgrow that thing that's damaging your body and causing you symptoms. Huh? 
Well, people say things like, well, you can't be in denial. Oh, no, I'm not in denial. I'm in faith. Denial is where you don't know what you're dealing with. I know what I'm dealing with. The devil and his his natural stuff versus a higher spiritual law that says I was healed. And the anointing of the priest and the king that resides in me because of who Jesus is. Not because of who I am, because of who he is. I'm totally relying and trusting in his word that he told me that he himself took my sicknesses. He himself took these things. You ever people go to the doctor with, well, they can't find anything. And I said, well, praise God, there's nothing there. But I know I got, huh? Is it true? Saints will argue you down that something is wrong with them. Huh? And when you think of the reality of this atonement, that even with them protesting that they're sick anyhow, and God still has them well, come on, y'all. This is no this is no mere love, huh? This is a great thing that it can even override your unbelief. Jesus will mercy and grace you long enough to get in the word and see if it's not true that you don't have disease. See, that's the first thing you need to investigate. If I don't feel well and they can't find anything, what does that mean, God? And he said, that'll mean you were healed by my stripes. It is true, and it is a fact. You call those things that be not as though they are. The reason sometimes we have symptoms is our souls are sick. That's why 3 James 2, is that where it is? That'll be my last scripture. That we prosper and we are in health. As our souls prosper. Now, in health means in your mortal body. Okay? The spiritual law says you were healed. But you must be in health as well. So when you have symptoms in your body or if you're fighting some kind of allergy or something like that that just continues to attack you, what you do is allow your soul to prosper in the word of God. That's why we got these healing scriptures everywhere on the key ring. And that's because that's how you prosper your soul. You feed your soul the word of God. The only thing that's wrong when people have symptoms they can't get rid of is that their soul is weak and their soul is impoverished because it's not rich in the word of God. Now, see, this is the part where you lose most people. We don't want to read. I don't want to read them scriptures. You go read them. Uh, if you want what God has, you're going to do what you need to do to get it. Huh? And so we think, well, you know, I, I'll get around to that or I'll read them some and put them down and take my pill and read them some and put them. No, you put yourself under the authority of the word of God in your soul. You let your soul begin to prosper because the Bible says you prosper and you are in health in the natural realm as your soul prospers. 
See, this is what Miles Monroe calls the reason why most your neighbor is not convinced that he wants to be a Christian. Because most Christians do not take the time to renew their minds in the word of God. They just live like your heathen neighbor does most of the time and can't prove anything to them because you're not converted in your soul. Your soul doesn't think like God all the time, but you can get there. You can get there. You can allow your soul to start feeding on the word of God. And as you feed on the word of God, you begin to prosper in your soul. And then health, divine health, symptom-free bodies will start to blossom. You will start to understand that what it takes for you to get over into that realm where you're symptom-free, disease-free, all of that freedom. And so as you begin, see, there's help for you all the time. As your own physician, as a priest and being your own physician, you can feed yourself the medicine of the word. Amen. Huh? Amen. How you like that? A physician Amen. treating himself. Amen. Huh? Amen. We can do it because we already have a written out prescription that we can take any time. And that's the word of God. And so whenever you find yourself in a place where symptoms are racking your body and this happens to people. Just because you have divine health, that's a spiritual law. That doesn't mean you're not going to feel pain in your body or you're not going to feel anything in your body. But when that happens, the king in you can take authority over it and you can find where you're lacking in your soul and the word and start to build that up again in the word of God. And when you're converted, your soul goes from believing sick to believing I am healed. Just like the words I am healed. Just like the word says. It's a spiritual reality and now it's a physical reality. There is no disease in my body because I am healed. So that's the difference, folks, in the covenants. Your new covenant is a covenant that has a spiritual law that says these things have happened already. You're not waiting on anything to happen. So that you can get your healing. You're not waiting on a manifestation. Your faith is your manifestation. You can be just as happy with symptoms and be in faith. Whereas when you were out of faith, they bugged you, didn't they? Huh? Because you're in faith now. And that's your manifestation. So how much time do I got? Should I quit? I shall quit. Five minutes. Praise God. I'm running out of stuff to say. I haven't talked about everything. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we'll pray, okay? We'll pray for these things. Because the other, the other uh, uh, blessing that you have as a part of the church, the Bible says you can call for the elders of the church. Take the shortcut. Huh? Sometimes schooling yourself in the faith is a long way around. You can take the shortcut, but you might have to take the long road to Grandma's house one time. It ain't a bad trip. Huh? You close yourself up in your room with your Bible and you shut everything out and you begin to tell God, God, I'm going to get this because your word says it's mine. And I'm not coming out of this place of meditating on the word until I get everything that you have for me. Amen. Praise God. Why don't you put some music on? We'll pray. If you want me to pray for you, come on. You take the shortcut. Get rid of your pain. We minister under the anointing, 
And God has anointed me to pray for the sick. And they recover. Praise the Lord. 